Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Uncomfortable Silence. We're very pleased to have Steve St. Martin with us. Uh, I met Steve through watching him. Uh, first, I saw him play in high school when I was looking, when I was recruiting as a college coach, but then got to know Steve. We both started uh, coaching in high school kind of at the same time as head coaches. And Steve was very, very successful coach at Westwood High School. And uh, But we, we don't have Steve here really to talk about basketball today or maybe some other time. But uh, Steve um, has a great core value system. Uh, he walks the walk on these issues, which I think makes him really unique. Um, and he's going to uh, – we really like the idea that he's going to share with us his – challenges from a health standpoint, which probably created a lot of the way he lives now and being true to himself to be the best version of himself he can as well. Um, and then Quentin's going to tell you how he's met Steve, too. Yeah, well, I met Coach through my dad, and I actually I played against Coach. I had Coach as a coach in camp. Um, I had I got to be around him, uh, helping him move out of a storage cellar in uh, Plainville, uh, moving stuff with him, his father, and his brother. Uh, so I've been all around uh, Steve in a lot of different ways, and uh, he's always someone that uh, when my mom was sick or when I was having trouble or when I uh, couldn't hit a shot or I was pissed off at a coach, that he was someone who texted me and was always available to talk to me. So uh, he's someone I think very positively of and uh, one of my many – father's friends that's a little out there but i'm glad i got to meet <laughs> yeah and i think um quentin just touched on it the thing that probably you know steve and i met with kind of basketball friends and then you get to know someone more and you become a little more personal with your conversations and i always knew uh steve was available not just to me it might just be for a conversation when cindy was sick or um certainly as quentin said for him so so steve if you can kind of um sure. Tell us about your your uh, you know the challenge you had when you were coming out of high school, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> it's it's an interesting story. So uh, I was born with an undiagnosed heart condition. It's called AV nodal reentry tachycardia. So what would happen was it, periodically uh, when I was exercising, my heart would race out of control. Now, this is, we're, we're talking a long time ago before people knew what they know now about the heart. Like they, I went to my doctor and he said, you know, I told him about it and he said, well, what do you do? I said, usually I just sit down, you know, get my breathing under control and it goes away. He said, okay, just keep doing that. Like there was no bells or whistles that go off now, like, like, like that happen now, you know what I mean? So, and that's not his fault. It's just the way it was back then. Cause you didn't see a lot of this. Um, what happened was as I got older, uh, especially my freshman year in college, the, the frequency and severity of these, um, this technicardia happened because you're getting in better shape. You know, you're in college, you're playing, you're in better shape. So uh, it just happened I collapsed in the middle of a, a, a game my freshman year. Um, and so I went to the hospital. Uh, I was up in Maine, and I went to the hospital, and they said, you can't play again until your doctor clears you. So I called my house, and uh, I, talk, I talked to my parents about what happened, and my father drove up to pick me up, and we had an appointment to go see the doctor. 
Now, again, I'm feeling fine. This is not like you're in pain, like the, the event happens and then, you know, you don't feel like there's a little bit of a, a like a side effect of it, but then it kind of goes away and you're, you're feeling pretty good. So we go to the to see the doctor and he's like, well, why are you here today? And I told him what happened. And the next thing you know, I mean, he he drove us in his car to the emergency room at Beth Israel. Uh, and then that's when everything changed. I mean, then the severity of it you know, took over, you know, we went right into the emergency room, we got hooked up to stuff. And next thing you know, they got, you know, they got me in a room and and I'm on the cardiac unit with back then, which, you know, I was 18 at the time and the average age was about probably about 85, you know, so. So Steve, uh, what was the event? As you, you know, you call it the event up in Maine. Yeah. Look. So what happened was uh, my heart started racing. And so I did what I normally do. I took myself out of the game. I called for a sub and I went out and I sat in the bench and I got my breathing under control. But it was, and, and this is going to sound kind of foolish to some people, but it was, you know, it was a competitive game against one of the top teams in the, in the, in the league and also in the nation at that time. And uh, we started to, the lead start, like uh, uh, their lead started to increase. So I prematurely subbed myself back in. Now, I didn't know the ramifications of what I was doing at the time, right? I mean, I just, you know, I, I didn't fully recover to get my heart rate all the way down where it needed to be, where my breathing and everything was under control and back to what they call one-to-one conduction, which means that it's beating the way it's supposed to be, basically. Okay. So I subbed myself back in prematurely. And then a couple of plays later, I stole the ball and I was dribbling down the court and I passed to the center and he got fouled and i just jogged back towards half court as you know as he was going to go to the free throw line and that's when everything started spinning and i kind i like it it just i felt like i was going to pass out and i went to my knees and everything was black but i just i could i could hear stuff kind of and then the trainer came out in the court and took me to the bench and I just, I just, ref- like, I just kept saying, don't, don't black out, don't black out. And I, and I, he took me to the bench and then, you know, and then he's, you know, he's testing, putting the flashlight in my eyes and my pupils wouldn't, you know, wouldn't dilate and all these, but I still had consciousness of what was going on. And then he ended up taking me to the hospital. Uh, again, the severity of this wasn't known back then. You know, we, it wasn't like he immediately took me. It took, you know, we, we waited for some time and he just wanted to see how I would react. And by the time we got to the hospital, um, I was much better. Uh, so they looked at me and were like, you know, everything looks pretty fine. Your vitals look pretty good. Uh, and so th- it wasn't like there was an immediate immediateness to it, which nowadays, you know, th- that never would happen. Does that make sense? I, yeah. No, I know. I, I think it's uh, it's hard to really picture what you, you know, and I'm sure you've told this story a million times. but Right. For us, you know, all we picture now is the defibrillator things. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the hallway in the gym, which didn't exist then. Right. Trainers are everywhere now, which it sounds Correct. like had one, but sometimes the training was different for them. Correct. Much, much more challenging. So, so um, you know, in the severity, again, I'm 18 years old and I'm feeling pretty good. And and the the severity didn't hit until the second night I'm in the hospital and and visiting hours are over and it's just me and the doctor who is the, he's the guru of electrophysiology. I mean, this guy was top notch um, and and well-known throughout the world, not even just the country, but as I increased my playing sphere uh, and meeting different people, he was known everywhere. So um, 
And he was actually on Reggie Lewis's dream team. He was one of the head guys on Reggie Lewis's dream team. Um, so, uh, you know, I said to him, I'm, you know, he, he's looking at charts and looking at the numbers and stuff, and he's about to go. And I said, hey, you know, uh, when, when, when I feel pretty good. Like, when am I going to be able to leave? Like, uh, you know, I'm missing the season. I'm missing school. Yeah. And he just kind of looked at me and he had terrible bedside man and was like, you don't get it, do you? And I'm, I'm like, no, he's like, look, you see these machines? Like, you see all the stuff we're doing? We have no idea if you're going to live or die. And then he left. So I was up at night by myself and I called, you know, I called my parents. I called my brother. I called my best friend. Uh, and back then there was no cell phone. So you just used the phone in the hospital and just, you know, we just talked a lot. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of uh, gratefulness. And then um, it, it took a while for me to fall asleep that night because I was so worried about what the what the results were going to be, you know, waking up or not. And then obviously I woke up and then we went through a battery of tests. I mean, I had millions of tests and then they they found what the issue was. And I had to have surgery to fix that issue. Now, the the difficulty is the surgery back then was fairly new and you had to be awake during it. So um, and I was 18 at the time. So when they were telling me this, I wanted to discuss this with my parents, but they would have to take all the catheters and everything out for me to do that because they couldn't bring them into the into the into the um the or you know what i mean like they can't do that uh so and we're they, talking like 1992 93 yeah right? this is nine this is the february of 94 yeah so like so, you mentioned reggie lewis yes um and that's what year that was a little before that or a little yeah after? it was about a year a, a okay. less than maybe eight yeah, months before for maybe reference on how different it is medically Oh, it's t tremendously different. I mean, in, in even the, the the surgeries, I mean, again, I was awake during this. So I had a sign saying I, I was 18 so I could sign for myself. They said we could take everything out. And I was in so much pain. I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this again. So I signed for myself to have the surgery because I was 18. And so we, we had the surgery. It was about seven and a half hours long. And it was like the worst pain I've ever been in in my life. And uh, and. Uh, I mean, at one point, I, I was begging the nurses just to knock me out. I said, just hit me over the head with something. It was just so much pain. So they got through that surgery, and it took about six weeks or so to recover. And then I had to go through some testing to see if I could, you know, how my body was doing. And then they cleared me eventually to to begin, you know, to train again. Now the season's over, so now we're talking about, you know, you're into, you know, the the you know March, Aprilish, you know, early April. So uh, I said to them, I go like, okay, well, where do I start? And they were like, we're just doctors. Like we have no idea what you you know for you to train or what to do. So I just learned how to lift. I, I worked out with I worked out with a couple of bodybuilders, but I also worked out with some uh, people, with different athletes, and just learning how to train right and uh, lift. Because back then weights weren't really that a big of a thing either. Like it wasn't it wasn't part strength training wasn't part of what it is now like you know nowadays uh, a lot of lifters were just bodybuilders it wasn't it wasn't for 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 sports if if that makes sense so um i ended up getting strong enough and i i tried out for the base state games and all the while now i'm still trying to transfer 
to get a scholarship, right? So I'm in a Division three school, and I I wanted to go uh, to a Division two or one school. So I took I I went to BJ's and I bought a, a millions of this is how old this is too. I bought a millions of VHS tapes, and I copied the best games I had, um, and I tried out and I made the Bay State games. Now back then the Bay State games were huge. I mean. Mark, you can remember. That. I mean, it was a well, big. There weren't that many things going on like there are now. Correct. That was Correct. a showcase. Like, what was the tournament called that was in Boston every year? Like Billy Curley was in that one. Oh, the uh, the Boston Shootout. Yeah, but yeah. that was it. Yeah, that was, that was it. Up. And there was a there was a precursor to the Boston Shootout. That it was a Red Owlback tournament that used to be run in Cambridge, but that was it. Like you know, so you didn't have a lot of stuff. So the 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 um the the open division for uh, the Bay State games was huge, and so on that team there was a it was a couple of kids from BU, Northeastern, BC. Like there was, you know, there was bigger, big time players there. And I ended up making that team, and I eventually ended up starting for them. So at that time, though, all the scholarships were basically done, uh, and I sent I sent every Division One team in the country. I mean, every single Division One team out there uh, a tape. Now there are more Division One teams now as some of these Division Two programs are matriculating to Division One, but there was still around three hundred or so. So, um, and I got, I got, I didn't hear anything back. I ended up going back to Maine, and all of a sudden it was like the second week in September. I get a phone call from the school in Louisiana who got a tape. And they're like, hey, we saw your tape. We want you to come down here. We got a new coach, new coaching system. We're looking for players. We like what you do. So my dad, God bless him, picked me up and we packed everything we own in this old Toyota Corolla and drove it all the way down to Louisiana. And my father dropped me off. Um, and I found out when we were there, I found out I couldn't enroll in classes. So I, I ended up finding an apartment with some guys that work at the school and I washed dishes. So for the for the first semester, all the way up until like December break, I was washing dishes. What I did is I would I'd get up in the morning, I'd wash dishes. I, I walked, it was about three and a half miles. I'd wash dishes uh, and then I'd go watch practice and then I'd go work out on my own. And then I would just read a lot and and, and just stay up with because I couldn't take classes. So I was missing that semester's worth of school. So I did this. And, you know, you get to know people. And then, you know, uh, I got to know guys in the team. And so they would uh, the coaches would see me uh, at night working out and stuff. So um, it's time now for Christmas break and I'm going to fly home. And uh, the trainer, the head trainer, calls me in to the coach's office, and he's like, look, we need a written clearance from your doctor stating that you can play. I was like, no problem. You know, I, I was going to go play again, so it's no big deal. So I fly home. I call the doctor. Uh, I tell him what I need. And then um, they, didn't, they said, okay. And then I fly back, and I'm waiting for they to get clear. Now I'm waiting. So I start school. I, I took an extra class now to try to stop making up the classes I missed. And I'm waiting. About a week goes by, two weeks. So finally, the trainer comes out before practice and calls me in because I, I used to watch practice, but I couldn't participate in it because I wasn't cleared yet. So everybody's psyched. We all think I'm get, finally get my clearance. My teammates are high-five me. I run into the trainer's office and I'm like, we got a, a, a off the phone with your doctor. They won't clear you. They said you need another surgery. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So now it's February again, almost a year apart. I fly back home. 
and I'm in the surgery again, and it's five and a half hours into the surgery, and all of a sudden, the the, the I hear like uh, stop, 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 and like I feel my heart stop beating because I'm awake, just yeah. as I am talking to you guys. So I stop, I look at the screen, I flatline it, and then I kick back in, and I flatline again. So now it's like bedlam. They come barreling in with the paddles like they it's just bedlam in there. People are shouting, yelling. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, like I can't, you know, I just can't believe this is happening. So they juice the paddle up and they're about to hit me, but I I would kick back in. So they they would wait and then I'd flatline again. And it just just kept happening for a while. And then eventually I stabilized and I had uh, a, um, a stable rhythm to me, but it was a, a it was a destroyed rhythm. They burnt my AV node. So now I have the opposite of what I had before. My heart used to race. Now it doesn't beat enough. So um, it was it was unknown. First of all, I was in the OR for a long time because they had to make sure I was stable. And, and you know, I wasn't going to flatline permanently. So once that happened, then they moved me into the ICU and they had to go tell my parents what, what ended up happening. I mean, I, I hate to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't there for it. But um, so they they wanted to see me, and I'm, now I'm in ICU, and they let they let me see my parents finally. And you know, I'm kind of in a lot of pain still, and my heart rhythm is off. So there's all these crazy things happening. And then it took forever for them to figure out. Like now we're talking like you know, days would go by, a week goes by, and then I'm in the hospital for a really long time. And, uh, I, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't know what was going to happen. So finally I ended up going home and, um, I ended up going, uh, back to school. They said I could, I cleared to go back to school and then they cleared me to start to train, right? The season's over. So I start doing off season training. Um, and it's crazy. So I'm, I'm working out, I'm rebuilding my body again. Like I lost everything. So I'm rebuilding my body, and then I get up the last day before I'm going home to Boston. Um, my father was going to drive down and pick me up. The coach calls me in his office, and he said, listen, I just talked to the doctors, and they said you'll never be 100%, and I can't waste a scholarship on you. So we're not going to give you the scholarship. We're taking it away. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. So now I'm in Louisiana. I have no college. I got no money. I got. Not, I just was very lucky at the time, though, because a gentleman by the name of Serge DeBarry and Mark, you know Serge really well. Uh, he got the job at Assumption, where he played in the late '60s. And Assumption was on hard times. It used to be one of the best programs around in New England, and now it's on hard times. So they hired him to rebuild it, and um, and he offered me a scholarship. And he came to my parents' door. And he uh, went into the house, and my and first was question. Was Coach asked, at Babson? Yes, and right. Yes, he was at Babson, and he. My brother went to Babson for two years and played for for Costa Barry. So I, right. I, I knew him. You know, I was yeah, I was I knew him. So, um, yeah. and so uh, my first question, my mom asked him was like, "Look, if he can't play, can he keep the scholarship?" And he said, "Absolutely." You know, and yeah. he shook on it. So I signed my letter of intent. The straight up guy. Straight up guy. And he won the best around, you know, one of the best around. And um, and so uh, the funny thing is, and this is a story for another day, but the Louisiana uh, coach ends up calling me and they want to offer me now a scholarship. And it's a, a long story why that all happened. 
But uh, I turned him down. I said, absolutely not. And, and so I went to Assumption. So now we're at Assumption. We're doing preseason workouts. And I start feeling like strange things are happening. I lost the vision in my eye. My left arm's going numb. Like all these crazy things are happening. But stupid me was so nervous about them taking my scholarship. I don't say a word to anybody. And I go back to my apartment and I'm in my apartment and I feel like crap. And all of a sudden the phone rings and it's the trainer. And she's like, listen, we want you to have a doctor at UMass Medical Center. So we, we want you to go there now. You're going to meet this doctor. I said, oh, my God. So I got a ride to the UMass Medical Center. And I knew, like, I, I knew what the EKG was going to say. He put me on the EKG machine. I go out. All of a sudden, he comes out. He's like, what is this? And so, you know, he they shut me down. I couldn't play. I couldn't practice. I couldn't be on campus by myself. And I went through, a like, a series of tests. I mean, every single doctor you could ever imagine blood doctors brain doctors kidney doc like everything they put me through all these tests from like about four weeks straight so finally they we had this huge meeting with all the doctors and they basically were like look you're never going to be a hundred percent it's up to you if you want to play uh you're not going to do long-term damage to your body because that was the big worry like right. they've never seen this before there's no athlete that had this so they're like they had a test to see and they they made a, a decision that I wasn't going to do any long term damage to my body, but I would never feel good. Like I would just feel crummy all the time, tired, um, no energy. And there's going to be, you know, different side effects like the vision and all that stuff. So I just decided I, I wanted to do it. And so I had to sign a letter. Uh, not holding anybody, you know, and, you know, I would sue anybody or anything that I had to sign that for the school and everything. And, you know, I, I finished that first year. I had a bunch of restrictions. Like I could only play so much. And then when I came out of the games, we had to jump rope on the side because we didn't want my heart rate to drop so fast. I, I didn't have like a safety net, like everybody whose heart operates normally, your heart will gradually decrease. Mine just, just grows right down and that would cause you to pass out. So um, we had to take notes, I mean, copious notes, and uh, my, myself and the trainer. Everything we did, every symptom, I mean, by the minute, everything we I felt, we had to write it all down in this notebook. And then we submitted notebooks, like tons of notebooks. When I graduated, we submitted them to UMass Medical Center because they never had a, a player like that ever did this. So, um and I think to this day, they still don't. I mean, no one would let you play with what I had. So I think also they wouldn't take a chance on you financially. If Correct. It wasn't someone like Serge. Correct. Who, uh, had that really good, credible base, you know. He's, he's he was, like I said. He a lot was, of guys, I mean, they they can't. It's it's part of their job, right, to investigate right. them to a certain way. Right. No, it is. It, it's a business, whether we like I mean, it or not. happens it. So um, I ended up. Finishing my senior year, um, we had a great year. We won the tournament, went to the NCAA tournament. It was fantastic. It was a great story. Uh, and then I had to stop playing. They, the my I failed a bunch of tests for my heart. I wanted to play overseas, um, and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. My body just shut down. So I coached that whole year at Assumption, uh, and I worked up there. And then towards for some reason, after taking that year off, my body – kind of healed itself it didn't go away by any stretch of the mean but it was so much better so they cleared me to play again and now i'm i'm looking to go overseas and i had a i had a chance to go to france i had a connection over there with a buddy of mine that was playing 
thing. And I had a little bit of a connection that I was going to try to pursue. And it like this, this is July 3rd, man. We're in a men's league in Hyde Park. And I come down a guy's ankle wrong and dislocate my ankle. So now I'm out, you know, I'm in a boot. I'm my, my, you know, I'm in, I'm out for, for, for a ton of time. I, I couldn't even, it must've been, I was in a boot forever. So uh, I rehabbed the whole thing and I'm in the middle of rehab. And then one of my teammates, this is about right after Christmas, one of my teammates uh, sent me a message. He's like, look, I'm going back to Germany. I'm in Germany. We're looking for a point guard. There's not a lot of money involved, but you can stay with me and there'll be a good chance to get your foot in the door. You're interested. I said, absolutely. The guy who's doing the rehab is like, you're not ready. Like, you're not ready to do this. And I'm like, if I don't go now, I may never go. So I did. I went over there. I played the rest of the season and finished out. And then it ended up having one season after the next. And it just got lucky. I played in Mexico for a bit and I went back to Germany. And then uh, the D League opened up. And uh, I, now was the G League, but before, before it's the D League. And I was going to cash in some favors to get a, to get a tryout. And uh, I was working out uh, at Health Point in Waltham where the Celtics used to practice. And I got a buddy of mine who's a, a teammate, when a German uh, fellow came over, a teammate of mine was still best friends to this day. Uh, he came over to stay with me and we were training and I didn't make it out of the gym. Uh, my, my body just shut down and I ended up, you know, they ended up needed, I needed a surgery. They put a pacemaker in and here I am three pacemakers in now. Now so. you're just like the rest of us. Yeah, just like everybody else. Right. So, so, so I mean, it's, it's important for, a conversation that you did tell that story because I'm sure that's what influenced you on everything that has transpired since yes. then. And um, because Quentin has gotten so involved in nutrition, right? I mean, you and Quentin can talk a little bit about nutrition and how absolutely. it how it's changed and what you've seen and what Quentin's learned too. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do you regret keeping playing, or do you wish you shut it down? Uh, focused on maybe taking care of yourself more and didn't keep trying to play again? Or if you uh, were, would you do it again? Yeah, I would do it again. I mean, I here's the thing. The number one – so I used to go around and speak, right? I used to do a lot of public speaking, and the number one question I would always get is if you um, – they would always be like, do you, do, you like, do you regret? Like, And I'm like, no, man. Like, I, I don't want to go back in time and do this again because it was so painful. But like, I don't regret doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't regret it. it it's, uh, I met so many people and had so many tremendous experiences. Now, look, I was very lucky. Like the things, you know, things worked out in a certain way. I, I wouldn't change anything. Like if well, I, with the intensity of life and yeah. those type events, which we've learned too in our way, you actually learn more about yourself. You're living more fully and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so I wouldn't that, be here. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Like people have right. said, like if you were healthy, would I'm like, I don't, I don't want to go back and be healthy because I am where I am right now. I, I love my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how do you live now to stay responsible to uh, the problem that you have? <laughs> well, you know, Mark was just talking about nutrition part, and that whole started. I was on this these drugs for my heart. The doctors gave me these drugs. The side effects were so ridiculous. Like there was one point now, now Quentin, you, you played in college. So you're going to understand when I, when I say this, right? Like, and, and Mark, you'll know what I'm talking about. When I said for two weeks straight, I didn't sleep. Like this is during the season. 
So like we had practices, games, you're on a bus traveling to New York or you're doing, I mean, and I didn't sleep. I would come home, I'd go to, you know, not sleep, go to class for two weeks straight. Like and the was side that a combination of mental and physical, Steve, or was it because of a side effect? Of it was the, the side effect. Also mentally being wired? Uh, no, it was the side effects because yeah. the side effects of this drug was so potent. I mean, it, it made, it, it would, I felt awful on it. Um, and I went to the doctors and I'm like, you're telling me I got to do this for the rest of my life? Like, I, I can't function. And they said, this is all, this is what we got. Like, you know, we could change the dosage. We could try to find a new med, but like, this is what we got. And I said, there's got to be a better way. That's the point where I started getting in more into nutrition. That was the point where I'm like, there has got to be something different. And that's where I started learning more and more. And back then, there wasn't this plethora of information that there is now. Um, you really had to dig deep and you had to find certain people and you had to talk to them. And then you had to, you know, you had to go really dig deep into stuff to find it. But that that was the changing moment where I'm like, I am going in a different direction than this. And so the funny thing is I just had two things. I had the, um, my checkup. Uh, it used to be every six months. Now they, they're like, we can do it in a year. Um, this is my third pacemaker. I had my checkup with the doctor and he's like, I don't care what you do because it's working. I don't, you know, he's like, boring is good in my business. And then I had my physical about two weeks later and my, my primary is like, you just keep doing it, man. Like you're, you're doing great. You know? So, I mean, just levels of things and blood work and just all that stuff is coming back tremendously and it's all a guide but it's you know it's coming back better than than it ever has been you know so yeah. simply what uh like what do you stay away from what do you eat I oh know, yeah, yeah whole food um, what do you yeah. really have to stay away from no that's great sugar number one thing to stay away from is sugar like sugar is people don't understand how poisonous sugar actually is um and, it, and people at Otto Warburg won a, a Nobel Prize you know proving that you know cancer is a, what they call an obligate glucose metabolizer which means it feeds on sugar to to grow and to metastasize and that's what happens it, you know sugar is a is a great uh, feeder and it's also a causer of cancer and, and inflammation in the body and once the body's inflamed you go into metabolic syndrome where organs aren't operating the way they're supposed to and so sugar is a big big thing I try to avoid. I mean, the only thing I drink is water. I don't drink anything. I mean, I'll have tea and stuff like that, organic tea. Um, How do you we, have, um, so, you know, you're in, you're in schools, you've been in schools yep. teaching for a long time now. How do you, are you able to have that conversation with parents? Because, you know, the kids usually eat what's in front of them, especially when they're younger and to talk yep. about this a lot too. So how are they open to the conversation or do they give you the dial tone? It's well, I, busy. I, I only approach it if people ask, right? Like, so to me, the most important impactful thing is your actions. So um, conversations end up happening because at the school I'm at now, for an example, we have snack time where kids are in your room and you're eating snack and they're watching what I eat. And they're seeing what they eat, and they always ask questions, you know, like, well, what, what is that, or why eating that? And how old are they, Steve? These are sixth graders. Okay. So about 11, 12, yep. roughly, you know, and so they'll always ask. And then 
you'll find parents that operate under that same parameter and there's others that don't. Um, but I don't, I used to earlier on when I first was in teaching and got into nutrition stuff, I was, you know, but then I figured it, it didn't lead me to anything positive. So I just said, I'm just going to do my thing. And if people want to know about it, they'll ask, yeah. you know, and it seemed to be a, a much better approach because the minute you start to like, if, it, you know, if I'm sitting there, the people feel like they're getting preached to or judged or whatever it turns into a negative and you can never have that conversation again. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. and I think it's like a great question. Self-educated on a lot of this Correct. stuff. Correct. You know, where to go to, who he likes to follow and so on. And right. He might say something here and I kind of take, you know, I'm not that knowledgeable on any of it, but, um, I mean, simple example, we don't have bread on the counter anymore. Right. Yeah. So just something that simple. Who who is like one or two people for people listening and curious that you read that you like that you would tell people to read if they asked? Well, it depends the topic, right? So um, there's a couple of different, uh, I read through a bunch of different doctors uh so a guy and, and diff, different people too like there's a guy david avocado wolf i've read his stuff for a long time um and you got to kind of cipher through because sometimes people say, you know you got to kind of go through different things so he's one um dr axe is another guy who's really good you read through a lot of his stuff um uh let's see who else dr jokers is another one there's a there's a um lay aaron keneally um, there's a, there was a great one, uh, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez. He died of a heart attack a few years ago. His story is fantastic. Um, he worked at Sloan Kettering, which is the, one of the big cancer places. And through his research, he found a guy by the name, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Dr. Um, uh, he wrote a book on him too. He was a dentist in Texas and he was curing people of cancers. So Gonzalez wanted to find out like, what are you doing? And he found out his protocol and uh, he wrote a book called, uh, I think it's called One Man Stands Alone. And it's the story of Dr. Kelly. That's his, the dentist. And all the stuff he went through, getting shut down by the FDA, like all these different. And all he was doing is prescribing supplements and, and like different protocols that were based for what, you know, his um, patients needed. Uh, and so Gonzalez was so impressed, he ended up leaving Sloan Kettering and started his own naturopathic business. Like he started, he became a naturopathic doctor and a, uh, and a functional medicine doctor. Um, my primary is a functional med medicine doctor. I've been with him a tremendous amount of years. Uh, he owns his own place, and and I've been with him before he, he even had his own place. Uh, and uh, it's his place is is five journeys. That's Doctor Edward Levitin. He's tremendous, a tremendous guy. Um, so there's a, there's a bunch of different people from different areas. So there's a nutrition component, then there's like the, the spiritual mental part, you know, so there's other people that I read w revolving that. Cause there's an old saying I, I, I like so much. It's a, you know, uh, there are many rivers that lead into the lake of, of stuff. You know what I mean? So it's never just one thing. It, they're always intersecting somewhere down the line. You know what I mean? Yeah. If kind of like to jump around a little bit. Sure. Um, because like I said at the beginning, I think we could take seven topics with you and yeah. talk for quite a while on it. Right, right. We all we all know that. Um so you go through this physical challenge and then you you know, you finish your degree, you're getting into teaching and so on. Um 
Do you ever lie at night wondering what's going on underneath the surface physically? Were you able to put that mentally, uh, your health challenge in a box mentally? Because when we talk about mental health, it's not like a broken arm that you can see. And Correct. even your, your injury or your illness or, you know, the challenge of your heart, you can't see how it's doing. Right. Do you ever be awake at night, uh, get nervous about it? And if you don't, what was the way that you put it mentally into its place? I'll give you just one quote that I like. I, um, you know, I never went back. I never listened to Steve Jobs. I haven't seen the movie. I will now. But I heard this thing he said, and this was before, this was right after he had cancer. Um, so before he was real sick. But he says, um, if you live every day like it's your last Sunday, you'll definitely be right. Right, right. And, right. and he said he'd look in the mirror every day and he'd think about what he was going to do. And if he said, if he decided that that was a bad thing a few days in a row, then he realized he had to change something. So right. he was constantly in this reflection mode. Um, did your illness make you like that? Were you naturally like that? Um, well, first of all, I was young, younger, and I don't want to say naive, not the right word, because I knew exactly what was happening. I just was, I was so driven. Like I want, this was a goal. Like my, I wanted to be a professional basketball player and, you know, I wanted to make it to the NBA and I wanted to play for the Celtics. Like, and it just was such a passion. Um, and that to me is important as you find a passion. Uh, and again, another conversation, but I had to be so in tune to what my body felt like because I had to report it. And that was a positive, but it also became partly negative because then you start to spend time constantly, like you just said, worried about how you feel and different, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, cause I, I had, I was trained to do this. Like the doctors and my trainer when I was in college were like, look, you got to do this because we have no idea you're writing the book on this. So I had to be meticulous on every, like I'd get up in the middle of the night if I felt a certain way, I'd write it down what time it was, what were the symptoms, what did I do for it? And that can spin you out of control um, because years later, you're still in that mode. Now I've learned to deal with that and how I've done it is um, there's only so many times you can go to a doctor and they're going to tell you that, look, every, every test we're running, everything's good. So you're going to feel some of these things and that's okay. And so I heard that. I'm like, all right. You know, and so over time, I've lessened. I'm still in tune to my body's needs, but not in that worrisome, what is this? It's more of like, this is a natural progression. And I've also learned a lot about supplementation and nutrition to help mitigate a lot of that negative stuff that you can feel. Does that make sense? So well, that yeah, because I think, Quentin, you can speak to this, like what he's learned about nutrition, how it makes him feel. Yes. Uh, Sleep-wise and so on right well we talk about with i always talk about how it relates mentally like if you wake up and you eat a donut compared to if you eat you know eggs and avocado or something different how different you can feel in the course of an hour or throughout the whole day so correct you know i imagine with uh with your challenge how differently it can make you feel yep yeah, um, and that's, that's true. You're putting you're 100 percent right, and I notice different things based upon um, what I'm consuming. And so I I will not venture outside of things I know I shouldn't be eating, and it, you have to have a tremendous amount of discipline. 
But like to me, the goal of what I wanted was more important than what that plate, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what happened is like you become so disciplined because you know what you want to get out of this. And and I'm super competitive, like uh, on the inside, I'm very competitive. So I'm like, I'm going to win. You know what I mean? And so it it's just not that important to me. And then what ends up happening is as you do this over time, and Quentin, you may be able to speak to this because you're in that mode now. If you do by chance eat something or drink something, it doesn't, it tastes awful. Like it, yeah. it makes you feel gross, but it also doesn't have that same appeal because you have detoxified all those chemicals and all that stuff that they put in to trick your your taste buds to think it's good. Like you've you've detoxified that stuff. So now it's like, this is gross. So why am I even bothered gonna do that? You know, and so like the alcohol conversation too. You know, if you don't if you don't touch alcohol, if you don't get involved in that world, you know, to a to uh other than moderation or whatever yep yep you can you feel out in the next day or if you have that bad trip to mcdonald's and you yeah next day you're like what did i do you know we used to talk about chinese food that way oh yeah chinese right, food right. in the morning right yeah right well it's interesting that sugar is like like getting rid of sugar is like quitting nicotine or quitting yep. it's the same it's almost you it takes you two weeks two and a half weeks to stop craving it and it's weird that it has that big of a effect on people but once you get over that hump you really one you don't even want it but if if i eat something now of like and then go to the gym i'm in the gym like yawning on the bench like right. trying, trying to stay awake because i right. eat something crappy and right I not do that to myself yeah hey, look you can feel the difference that's probably the best reinforcement for doing the right thing nutrition wise right is right. to feel it and you gotta right. get over those humps and um there's that thing about you know, just it takes time. You got to be patient. You got to uh, believe in the process. Sure. Um, you got to also get reinforcement. A hundred percent. And you have to stay within the research too, because like there are things that you're told you try out because some, you know, someone you're reading a lot of, and then you got to really dig in deep because sometimes they could be, you know, mistaken or misleading or just incorrect. I mean, and then you find out like, and, and a lot of that's in our society. It's built in. And I mean, we talk about sugar. You could go back to Ansel Keys in, uh, in the, the uh, I think it was a seven country study. This is in the fifties when Eisenhower was in pre the president had a heart attack. And they were trying to figure out how the heck does a president have a heart attack? And that's where that low fat stuff started coming in. But what they failed to realize is they just added the sugar to it. You know what I mean? And you really need the good fats and you don't need the sugar. But yeah. sugar is such. And now sugar has so many different names. I mean, there's like 80 something names of what they've done to sugar to, to make it like, you know, stuff that we know about like high fructose corn syrup but you almost need an encyclopedia next to reading the label crazy. foods yeah it, honestly one of, the, one of the things that bothers me with it is like like netflix has a documentary about food i don't know if you've seen it on there yeah. but it's like the number three show in the country right now and it's it's funded by uh vegan doctors and it's yeah. it's all in encouraging vegan this vegan that but a diet that would work for you uh doesn't work for my lifestyle and a diet that might work for my lifestyle might not work for his lifestyle and right. we all have different bodies but right these people i think like this this diet's going to do this for you and this diet's going to do this and it should work for everyone right it's a big misconception where you also have to find out what works for your body and yep 
how yep. you feel too. And that's what I mean by staying with the research, right? Because like you're going to try some stuff and if it doesn't feel right and if you're not getting certain results and you have to know what that is because there's a thing called the healing crisis that people really don't talk about. The healing crisis is when you are detoxifying chemicals out of your system, okay? Or when you're like, so you're getting rid of stuff, you're going to feel crummy. Like that's a normal process of, of it. So like sometimes what we're thinking is the flu might be a detoxification of something that you're getting rid of. And that's the byproduct of it. So you got to figure out like, and it takes time. Like it's not, it's not like a, a one size, like you said, fit all diet. Like you have to have a lifestyle change, but then you incorporate different things to see, is this going to be beneficial for me? How's my body going to react to it? And that and takes it seems time. so difficult to have the conversation too, because we're, we're such victims of this marketing world. We oh, yeah. And, oh yeah. And yeah. yet everybody eats. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. one of the few things that we all do that in depth are probably two of the things we, yeah. we all eat, and it's probably the most important thing we do during the course of the day to make us healthy. And yet the conversation gets convoluted most of the time. A hundred percent made as complicated as possible for the dollar. It, and that's the thing: you're fighting against a machine. Like there right. is a there is a machine that's benefiting off of this, and it's not just the food people who are benefiting. You know, like, like if the, you don't, what's the old saying about uh, the medical world? Like, um, healthy people are not good for business. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like the sick well, your doctor, you said earlier, your doctor actually actually liked it. There was no news to give. Right, you. right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I go in there, and it's funny when the if it's a new nurse, uh, you know, usually it's the same nurses, so they get to know you. But if there's a new nurse, the first question is like, you know, are you want any medication? I said, no, I don't take it. And they're always like, they can't believe. Like, you right. know, first of all, they can't believe I'm so young and had all these pacemakers since I was, you know, super young. But the other thing is, they ne they they never they can't believe I'm not on any medication. You know. Yeah. Well, I read a lot about um, with food about how it affects the brain too, and uh, yep. depression. One of the leading causes of depression is poor gut health. It's yes, it's actually the leading cause of uh, depression according to a lot of doctors. But I read a book. Um, and I'm still reading it. It's called "Depression Cured at Last" by uh, by Sherry Rogers. Okay. And, um, she talks about when the healing process you just talked about. Yeah, um, I learned I was gluten free uh, my whole life growing up, but I didn't know it. So that yeah. gluten allergy, like I was never feeling well. My stomach was never feeling good. I was, you know, I was gaining weight quick because I was eating stuff not good for my body. And when you go gluten free or have an allergy like that, even lactose, it takes six months for your intestines to heal themselves. And if yeah. you have any gluten in that span, it basically restarts that detoxification process that you Correct. Yeah, and see, there's two pieces. Another guy by the name might be interesting. Dr. Russell Blaylock was a one of the great a great neurosurgeon, and he wrote uh, Nutrition and Behavior, and talked about uh, how sugar impacts your behaviors, negative behaviors too. Right? Well, we uh, could give this simple example of the kids at the birthday party, right? Yeah. And everyone's talking about give him another piece of cake and right. show him what he's right. well, or the, the 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 mornings, the the three or four weeks after Halloween, where the kids yeah. are eating like candy corns for breakfast in in school, you know. Yeah, they'll come down at Christmas time just to get ready to do it again. But so it just 
But it's true, though. I mean, nutrition plays, and you talked about the gut, like that leaky gut syndrome and food that permeates inside the gut, the lining of the intestinal wall sneaks into the bloodstream, and the body sees it as an invader and attacks it, and that can cause a whole host of symptoms as well. And then, you again, you talk about metabolic syndrome, where diseases that we name stuff, whether it's heart disease or liver disease, whether it's, you know, cirrhosis or whatever, uh, or, you know, pancreatic disease, any type of disease is just basically the, the organ that's so inflamed and unhealthy. And it's the body's trying to figure out ways to fix it, you know, and, and it's a constant battle. Uh, and so for us, we have to figure out, like, am I doing what's going to lead me to what I want to get out of this experience? But that's the most is important it, question. another branch uh, on this, too, so we can touch on it, because this is something that's come up before. And you, you're kind of the age... Quinton is now, like back when you were dealing with this, you might have been 23 to 25, right? And But it started when you were 18. Yeah. And did you have to change your social circles? I mean, everybody was involved in basketball, I'm sure, because you were totally committed to that world. Right. Did you have to kind of change it? Was your family, uh, uh, you know, did faith and family play a role in how you handled things and how you got comfortable with yourself? Well, I was I'm fortunate enough, you know, my parents are tremendous human beings and, and, you know, they've been through the thick and thin. And I also have an older brother who is an absolutely awesome human being and tremendous older brother. So I was lucky to have an immediate, um, like good, you know, base right there. But then you operate inside the world. And, and what I learned was like, so my older brother and I, we, we never drank alcohol. But we would be with everybody who did. And no one judged anybody. It wasn't like someone's like, you're not cool for not doing this or you're not cool for doing it. We just didn't care. Everybody just kind of lived their life. You loved each other no matter what. It just was an unspoken rule. You know what I mean? So I kind of operated under that parameter. And I always, as I get into nutrition, it wasn't like my circles changed. I just did what I wanted to do. And I didn't judge anybody else for what they were doing. You know what I mean? Like, it's just now, like at school, like I bring the things I need. If I know I'm going to a birthday party or something, I bring, and so don't we as a family bring the stuff we need for food, for water, for snack, whatever it is that we're going to consume. We bring all those things for us. You know what I mean? To You're be prepared, prepared. prepared for it. Correct. Yeah. But there's no judgment. And in, in, in the, the other question you asked, the like the mental part of it, the hottest thing for me is when I finally had to retire, I knew it was time. It's these these barriers we put up for ourselves. Like my first inclination is probably the Catholic guilt was like, what did I do to deserve this? I must be a bad person. Like, you know, we go inside our head and start creating these stories to 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 try to explain why these things are happening. And I remember like my friends are like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, it, but it's you have got to come to grips with this because I'm like, well, I didn't get a chance to get to my goal and I must be a bad person for this. And it, none of that stuff is true. We talked about that. We've talked about it. Sometimes. Yes. Life is hard. And it, yes. Accept that. It's, and um, Rabbi, the rabbi from Natick said, why do why do bad things happen to good people? Good people. Correct. It's happened to all of us. Yeah. Well, I'm not super depressed. I used to feel like that. Like, why me? Why am I, though? Only one right. of the whole grade that feels like this or right. this is happening too, or uh, with you know my mom's sick. I'm like, why am I the only one? 
And then, but it, it turns out that it's usually not true. It's not. It's not. A hundred percent. Yeah, like you think you think it is, but as you get older and meet more people, like you realize that like you couldn't have been more wrong. But in that moment, it feels like it's the end of the world. Exactly, because you you know it's hard to fathom it all. I, I always think of like um, if you're st- st- sitting on like Blue Hills and you can look at the overlook of the downtown Boston and it, you know the sunshine, it looks beautiful. It's like oh my god. Then you get up close, and you see the dog mess in the street, the homeless guy, the drug addict. Like you know, it's not. It's not what we think it is. It's like so, my backyard, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> the same challenges. So hey, I want to I want Quentin to play something before we move off this because I thought and see and I really like this. And then Quentin pointed out I didn't realize who it was because I wasn't. Uh, I see him in many different things, but I think about people in your life and sometimes people are there for a reason. You might think like that about Serge. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there are, you know, these angels on your path. I certainly appreciate them now, but this is great. The there are people who come in your life sometimes to be there for a season. They weren't meant to be there always. Sometimes we find ourselves up with people that we think are there for a lifetime, but they were only supposed to be there for a season. There are people who come in your life just for a pocket. If you ever watch a rocket go into space, it will just fall off when it reaches a certain altitude. Some people to handle the altitudes that you're going to. So don't be so there's Tyler Perry, who I see in, whether it's Medea or whatever, you know, he's yeah, yeah, all yeah. different forms. He's a very brilliant man. Um, but that whole idea, I mean, I consider you someone that came on my path for a reason. And, you know, sometimes there's people there and you walk by them and you don't realize it. And uh, what's the expression about people? We're all only separated by um you know, what is it, six degrees of separation or something like separation, that? Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I mean, I'm very grateful for all the people that cross my path that teach me things to look at life better, more positive, and more importantly, grateful, you know, being grateful for it. 100%. You know, and I think Quentin, I mean, he's learning this much younger than I did. I was more of a, you know, just a bull in a china shop a little bit as a younger man. And that he can learn this uh, from people like yourself. Or that he researches and find out who he decides those people are. Right. So did you, did you who on your path, like, what a, a couple of people, I'm sure. Oh, I mean, you know, I consider myself super lucky, the people I've met along the way uh, between, you know, from yourself, just um, – like you mentioned Costa Barry, I, I, there's a long list of family members, friends, people you just, you bump into, even like when I first started teaching in Boston, I met good people there. And, you know, as you move to a different place, you don't hang with them as much and you'll text here or there or something, but you still had this relationship as you're going through that experience. And then the experience may change and you meet new people. I started teaching in Westwood. I meet new people there. I coach, you know, through coaching, through playing, you, you, you're always meeting people and it's funny what he was saying because sometimes people are there uh, and then the experience changes and then there's new people there um, yeah. and and the, the the constant feeling of gratefulness is what carries you through because once you're there like you know we can we all gonna have our moments throughout a day or a week where you're like I am done you know like 
I don't, I don't know if I can take anymore. But then you have this gratefulness of all the stuff you have. You take a step back and you think about all the people you, you, you know, you have. That my my wife is a tremendous person, and then meeting her family, like you just bounce into people, and you're like, I can't believe how great this actually is. And that's what I mean, Quentin, when you ask me about like, and I said the number one question is, if you could go back and be healthy, would you change it? I'm like, I got a wonderful life. I have two wonderful boys. I got a wonderful wife. Like none of this stuff would have been in this existence if my existence was different. So I wouldn't go back and change anything with that, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I talk about it all the time. Like I wish, you know, if I could go back and bring my mom back, I'd bring her back. But yeah, yeah. that experience into who I am now, I'm glad that, yeah. you know, I had something to change the way I have to or the way I think. But I know you you've coached a long time and well now you're a dad which is you know coaching in itself but yeah right um i i wanted to ask you if so you have this you you value your life to the max you've had this challenge you've had almost death and times you thought you were going to die and how do you deal with and i've been in the gym with you so i know it could be a frustration getting players kids having them trying to realize how valuable this life that they have is at a young age and how do you deal with not letting that bother you when people don't appreciate every second in the gym that they have? Well, it's funny. It, it, even with teaching, we go. I go through this a lot with teaching, right? To try to get young people to see, you know, that they they can control a path. They can't control everything, but they can control their actions, right? And and to take their schooling more serious or to study harder. And same thing in a gym. And it used to bother me a lot more when I was younger. Um, but, uh, as I've gotten older, it's similar to what we talked about with the nutrition conversation. What I've learned is you can't, you can't, like, you just have to live your life. Right. And then people will watch what you do. And then they're going to ask you questions about it. Uh, that's how basically I do it. And, and I just try to check in with different people. Like throughout the day, I see students all the time in the hallways or whatever, you know, I just ask them what's going on. How are things going? Sometimes they tell you good. Sometimes they tell you it's not. And then you just open an ear up for it, but they see how I operate. And that to me is more important because if you're not doing what you're saying, it doesn't matter what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. It's, and I, I've always liked that you share your passion. So like yeah, yeah. And Quentin saw you as a fifteen-year-old, or even when he was younger, when you were coaching in Westwood, and I was in Ashland. <laughs> um, and he's grown as he gets older and more wise as a young man. He looks at the world different, right? And to have um, you know, to to learn how to not be bought, you know, now we have a different level of what's hard. Right, right. And now the other thing that was a huge deal, I mean, I'm still learning this. Of course. Uh, now it goes in a different drawer. Yep. And yep. it's all relative. But, 100%. But someone else's feelings on that, and Quentin and I talk about this, because I know, I mean, I can't tell him I know exactly how he felt during our challenges at home. I'd be lying. Right. Um, but I like that he's learning to articulate it. Yes. And the reason we named it the uncomfortable silence is because people, these conversations aren't out there. Correct. And my hope is that with you on and even saying, you know, well, I kind of do my example part. You right. Know, people notice, ask questions, and then maybe I can help help them. Yeah. That people will have these conversations more freely 
so that we don't have to wait so long to improve. A hundred percent. It's and you have to figure out too, because like you got to know when to step back from it, right? Like uh, there are people who aren't ready to hear it. So you have to just plant the seed. You plant a seed in there and you just check in with them, check in with them. And at some point when they're ready, they're going to make those moves as long as they know that you care, right? Like you're, you're caring for them. That's all you can do. You know, uh, you can't, you can't make them do it. You just, you just, but you, you offer your, your ear for them and a chance for them to talk. And that's that's what I do every day at school. I mean, I don't. There are students that still come to see me, or old players will reach out, and it's just because we gave them an option for them to do that. I've got to listen uh, to you in the gym of you talking in a group setting, and I've uh, had the pleasure of individual one on one of you trying to get me to be more into the gym and be really, you know, chase after it if I really want it. So. We have a lot of people that, um, of all ages, of kids that reach out to me who listen, who are struggling, having a tough time with things, and adults that reach out to you that have different challenges. So um, as someone who has experienced a serious life challenge and has gone through that, what would you uh, tell those people about how they can improve their situation, what you've learned about gratitude or something like that? You know, the first piece is you just mentioned the gratitude piece, right? You have to find something that you are grateful for. We all have it. We don't have everything that everybody else has, but we have something, right? It could be a family member. It could be you got a roof over your head. Today you went in the refrigerator. There was food in there. There's got to be something, right? That's the first step. The, and then the other part is it's also about goal setting, right? It's about putting yourself on a journey. It's never the end result. Life is a process. It's not a result. So it's about going down a process of going after goals. That's how you improve. And then once you hit one goal, you set another one, right? And it's about making these steps in life. That's what puts you on the journey. So, for example, like if I decided after the first surgery to never play again. I never would have, like, I would have known Serge the way I did. My brother played for him, but I never would have had him as a coach. I never would have met the people I met. I probably wouldn't have got into coaching. And if I did, maybe it would have been a different place, a different time. So, you know what I mean? Like, you got to have some set of goals for yourself and you got to be working towards them. And then doors and windows open up for you and other ones close. And so through that journey, is where you start to learn about yourself and about other people. That to me is super important. So the gratefulness and then having a passion and having goals set for yourself. And it doesn't matter if you're reaching every single one. It's you being on that journey. So at the end of the day, you look back and you don't regret. You don't sit there 20 years from now saying, boy, you know, I should have really tried this or I should have really done that. I mean, you look back and you say, like, I did the best I possibly could in that moment. That's my best. And let the chips fall where they may. And be grateful that you had that opportunity. Yeah, right? I, listen, I listen to a lot of uh, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, and he talks about that one of the uh, leading ways humans uh, achieve happiness is by working towards goals, not even achieving those goals. But one of the biggest ways people become yeah. happy, just simply, even if you don't get it, just working towards just- on that process, I'm telling you, it's that's what changes things, right? Because then all of a sudden you want to learn more about it. There is nothing. Because of my age, 
I'm like, you can get stale. You can yeah, become yes. complacent. Correct. You become ambivalent. Correct. Those are horrible words to I used to yourself. Mark, I used to say to my buddy and I joke all the time because I said to him, I said, you're not living unless you're uncomfortable. Right. No, I you agree. Gotta be uncomfortable. I, I know you're not. Uh, I don't want to say you're not uncomfortable being uncomfortable, but that's probably yeah. the truth. And neither am I for better right. or worse sometimes. Right. But right. I really like that Quinton now, and I think he's got a really good group of friends that they talk about goals and so on, and they um, you know, we're very grateful. We have we can create opportunity more than a lot of people can. Yes. Um, but I I told Quentin this week. I think I was he had a an interaction, handled it very well, and I said that's that's the most proud I've been of, of you doing something because I think it was a sign of growth. Yes. And he wasn't staying the same. It was obvious. It was, it was no question about it. And I think just. Every day that you look back and you say, "Okay, I'm, I'm better at that now than I was." I right, and you're not going to be times along the way, but I'm better. A hundred percent. You're not going to be per if you're chasing perfection. You're you're missing the mark, man. Like it's, right. it doesn't exist. So it's just about progress. It's about doing the best you can, and yeah. then so you don't you don't look back and regret the effort. You're not going to make every shot. You're not going to score an A on every single test. Like it's just not possible to be perfect in everything. I never what worried. What we want to do is be the best we can. What's that? I never worried about getting an A on every. I just wanted an A. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, even that, there was an example. Um, you know, I've, I've used this example before with Kurt Gowdy interviewing, um, and they were talking to him. He had Parcells, um, Bobby Knight, and Ted Williams fishing with them, and you know they're all really wired guys and perfectionists. Yes. He, what Gowdy said was the reason they're so wired is they are perfectionists. Right. Every day they are reaching for that. Correct. And they never probably put it in its right place and said, I did, at the end of the day, said, I did the best I can. Right. Have a better day tomorrow. Right. They probably stayed up for a week trying to get there. And I've seen you use up the rest of your pacemaker the night before you <laughs> were going to replace it. And, you know, you and I would talk about that, like, you know, how to relax more or how to, put things in their place and it is a process it is it, it's a learning experience and especially when you're doing like for coaching when you know we were coaching you're always trying to be the best you can to position the kids to be that way right so it's you want to do the best you can so you're watching film you're scouting like you're doing you're looking about your practice plan like you want to be the best you can at doing that so that's why being passionate about something so huge too, because it's gonna force you to want to be so good at it, and then that that trickles down into everything else. Like, um, and then you have to make choices, right? So, for example, I got a young family. I can't coach right now and be a great dad. Like, I had to give that piece up so I can be the father I want to be to my two boys. Now, as they get older. If they like to play basketball or anything, like, sure, we can talk about maybe going back into coaching. But, like, right now, you know, they may want to do something different. And as long as they're passionate about it, it doesn't bother me, you know. Yeah. And Coach doesn't do coaching, but he does one-on-one -on -one training. Yeah. Out of the Cape yeah. area, and you can contact him of the email. Oh, that's sdstmartin uh, at gmail.com. Okay, All one thing. Martin at gmail.com. Yeah. 
Tom. Yeah, yeah. Email me. I, 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 I. That's the part that you stay connected um, to the game. I'm not coaching that way uh, as far as teams go, but doing small group and individual instructions has been awesome. Um, and and you just get a lot out of that because you see young players who want to get better and they're trying their best, and that that to me is just beautiful. And your four-year-old the other day looked like he's well on his way. Yeah, you saw him down there, right, running around. Oh, he's ready to go. But so, yeah. So, so Steve, thanks so much. Oh, thank you, guys. Um, great. We will revisit this. There's a lot of stuff to unpack with your with your life's path, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on with us. I appreciate you guys having me. It's always a pleasure, and, and like you said, we can always go in a million directions. So I'm surprised. You know, you, we could talk forever here, you know. Yeah. Well, like it or not, people are going to have to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> and for everyone that's wondering why Steve's hair when he was coaching was always slicked down, it's because he wears this hat at night. <laughs> yeah, right. Now we know that. in here. I, gotta, I learned I, that tonight. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everybody.